A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. Magic Johnson dished to a cutting Ralph Sampson along the baseline and he sawed in for a monster jam and won, doing all the right things at all the right times is what I've noted in my notes, surprisingly, <laughs> in terms of possible MP, MP3. <laughs> I've done it again. I've done it again. I've said that in another episode and had to edit it out. He was really ahead of his time back in 1985 with his MP3 performance. <laughs> uh, what can I say? He, he definitely was. Uh, <laughs> that's embarrassing. I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. <laughs> I think it really helped him spectacular player from the beginning you can see right away jordan was going to be a big time scorer and showed what an impact he was going to have on the league this is nb85 celebrating the 30-year anniversary of michael jordan's rookie season in the nba and now your hosts adam ryan and aaron steen welcome back to another episode of nb85 aaron you're joining us from the confines of a hotel room in chicago as we record this it's episode 18 and we're going to break down the 1985 NBA All-Star Game. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good. Um, yeah, I've got a fortnight here in Chicago to catch a seven-game homestand for the Chicago Bulls. So, yeah, this is uh, a lot of fun to be doing an episode from the Windy City. Very good, mate. We're both a little bit under the weather today, so we're going to be fighting our own respective flu games as we record this. Oh, nice. NBA All-Star Game. February 10th, 1985. And it was the NBA's 35th All-Star Game. It took place at the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, Indiana. And it was a then-record NBA crowd of 43,146 people. Now, in July of 84, Team USA took on the NBA Stars at the Hoosier Dome, and there were 67,000-plus in attendance for that game. And coincidentally, we broke that down on episode three of the NB85 series. So that can be found at inallandis.com slash NB85-3. All right. So the coaches in this all-star game, the East were led by KC Jones of Boston and the West were headed up by Pat Riley of the LA Lakers. The game was broadcast on CBS and our commentators are Dick Stockton and Tom Heinsohn and Pat O'Brien was working the sidelines. A random stat for the game, the East were on their all-time streak of consecutive wins at five, and it's a record that still stands to this day in 2015 as we record this. Our officials are Ed Rush and Mike Mathis. Interestingly, the pre-game introductions, and I'm sure you noticed this as well, Dick Stockton was on the PA. He was. Even today in 2015, if you watch the Super Bowl, I'm pretty sure it's Jim Nance who does the call of the Super Bowl, and he's doing the PA announcement of the teams as they come out for the Super Bowl. So, Good stuff. Now, a quick tip of the hat too, mate, to Alex English and his humanitarian efforts relating to this All-Star game. He encouraged his fellow NBA All-Stars to donate their game payments to an Ethiopian relief effort 
and that was also mentioned pre-game, which is wonderful stuff. It was. We saw Alex English and Bernard King come out before the tip-off to hand over the other players' uh, incomes for the game as a check to a representative from the Ethiopian Fund. Each of the East and Western Conference teams had an honorary captain for the game. The honorary captain for the West was Jerry West, uh, LA Lakers legend, and for the East it was Oscar Robertson. As we look at the lineups for each of the East and West as they were announced, you had Rolando Blackman in his first All-Star game for the Dallas Mavericks, Alex English of the Denver Nuggets, Larry Nance in his first All-Star game as a member of the Phoenix Suns, Calvin Natt also in his first All-Star game for Denver, Norm Nixon of the newly relocated Los Angeles Clippers, one of two rookies in the game, Akeem Olajuwon from Houston, Jack Sigmar from the Seattle Supersonics. The starting five for the West was Ralph Sampson at seven feet four and at a forward position at seven feet four for the Houston Rockets. Adrian Dantley from Utah, George Gervin of San Antonio, Irvin Johnson of Los Angeles, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So quite a tall front line with 7-4 Ralph Sampson and 7-2 Kareem. For the Eastern Conference, in his first All-Star game for Milwaukee, you had Terry Cummings, Dennis Johnson from the Boston Celtics, Bernard King, the NBA's scoring leader at that time. For the Knicks, Sidney Moncrief from Milwaukee, Robert Parrish from the Celtics, Michael Ray Richardson from the New Jersey Nets, and Bill Lambeer from the Pistons, who was actually replacing the injured Jeff Ruland. The starting five for the East were Isaiah Thomas from Detroit, the other rookie uh, I mentioned that came before. The second one was Michael Jordan from the Bulls, of course, Moses Malone from the 76ers, Julius Irving from the 76ers, and a homecoming of sorts for the running NBA MVP, Larry Bird of Boston. Yeah, pretty incredible array of talent from both teams, including the honorary captains as well. It's a who's who, isn't it, really? It's a who, who's the, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's a who's here, who's here, who. <laughs> That's what I'm after. There we go. Yeah, back to you, mate. Before the first quarter got underway, Tom Heinsohn said that all of the players participating in the game today had come to have fun and to win, which is a bit unlike Today's players who don't really bother trying to win the, win the game. <laughs> that's right. When it comes to the All-Star game, it's uh, just all a bit of a joke, really. But that's <laughs> for a whole different podcast. Now, you're always going to get a show when you have Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson running the point for the respective teams. They're always pushing the ball up court, up tempo, really Enjoyable to watch. MJ's first stat of the game was a defensive rebound off a Ralph Sampson miss. Then at the other end of the floor, Moses picked up a loose ball under the hoop and missed the lay-in, only to have MJ sky in and tap in the putback for the first score of the game. The second East score of the game was an Isaiah Thomas three. Now, I felt the need to bring this up because in the 1985 game, the total statistics for the three-point shot were three for eight for the East and the West. <laughs> Actually, the West didn't even attempt a three. And 30 years later, in 2015, the combined stats for the two teams on three-pointers were 48 for 133. <laughs> oh, 
That is ridiculous. Wow. Isn't that staggering? That is fantastic. What a great start there, mate. I'm very impressed with that. The West didn't even attempt a shot. No, I think Isaiah hit all three uh, of the three-pointers made in the game. The West didn't even put one up. Wow, that's fantastic. What a contrast, though, when you think about it. And emphasise what you just mentioned a little bit earlier, how the All-Star game of modern day in 2015, as we record this, is effectively a joke. Uh, so, yeah, it's good that it hadn't uh, developed into a near farce back in the 80s and 90s. 133 three-pointers attempt in one game. Staggering. Um, on back-to-back plays in the game, uh, Isaiah missed on a really cool playground layup attempt. And then on the very next play, Magic had a three-on-one fast break and threw a beautiful no-look pass to Ralph Sampson for the score. You could tell when Magic was in that all-star game mood with that extra little hop in his step as he dribbled up court. Stockton mentioned MJ's shoes during the other first quarter and the amount of talk that there had been about them. Tommy Heinsohn said that they looked like they had horns on them. <laughs> up next was a beautiful move from Dr. J. He went sweeping across the lane, cut the ball in his right hand and did this extraordinary, I've called it windmill slash jump hook from about six feet out, <laughs> which drew oohs and ahs from the crowd. And Dick Stockton called it one of those slam dunk moves from the uh, the dunk competition, although it wasn't a dunk, so I'm not sure where he was going on that one. (laughs) Dick Stockton came up with a a very cool story as well during the first quarter. The previous day during practice, MJ beat Moses Malone in a foul shooting competition and Moses took him out for dinner, which I thought was a cool little tidbit. MJ said that he had really enjoyed the social experience of the All-Star weekend, getting to know the guys and whatnot. With 7.35 remaining, the commentators spoke of Ralph Sampson maybe even playing shooting guard in this game. That's how highly skilled he was at 7 feet 4. Yeah, he was fantastic to watch, and you could just see him out there. He was on the wings sometimes on the break, and I think when you said that Magic passed to Ralph Sampson early on for a score, that was a big hammer dunk, wasn't it? Uh, the, yeah, the first one was a, a lay-in. Uh, he had a, a dunk a bit later on in the game, which I'll, I'll get to if you let me. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'll, <laughs> I'll jump the gun <laughs> there. Up next was a nice back pick from Larry Bird and, and Isaiah Thomas to Dr. J, two-handed alley finish. On the next offensive play for the West, George Gervin got a lay-in, and Tommy Heinsohn never won to overstate anything, said that the only way that you stop Gervin down low is if you're nine feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) With the score at 25 to 20 in favour of the East, the first sub was made Michael Ray Richardson and Alex English checked into the game. And as you mentioned just before, Ralph Sampson was so athletic at seven feet four. The following West score was him flying in for a jam on the break off a George Gervin feed. He was like a seven foot four gazelle running down the court. It was really, really quick. With a score at 29 to 26, Bernard King, Norm Nixon, Larry Nance, Robert Parrish, Terry Cummings, and Sidney Moncrief all checked in in typical all star game substitution style. With the East up by three, Jack Sigma checked in for Kareem and Rolando Blackman also checked into the game. With Two minutes to go, the West took their first lead of the game at 34-33 to and the first quarter 
rounded out with a score at 40 to 35 in favour of the West. Very defensive-minded first quarter, but it still was played with a competitive spirit. Early into the second quarter, Calvin Natt checked into the game and Dick Stockton spoke about Nat's trade from Portland to Denver and how it paid dividends for the Nuggets, whilst in turn the Blazers had slumped. And Calvin Natt was the eighth pick overall in the 1979 draft. Now that's the draft where Magic went number one. And it included eight All-Stars, two of which, for shameless self-promotion purposes, Bill Cartwright, episode <laughs> 43 of the Inner podcast, and Mark Eaton in episode 49. Definitely worth checking those out. Now, Calvin Natt played less than 70 games in his final four NBA seasons combined. However, through 1986, he averaged over 18 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and almost one steal per game. So very good numbers. And obviously that's why he made an appearance in this All-Star game. I also noted down that it was really great to see a young Larry Nance in action. He was very spry and famously won the 84 dunk contest, but he was much more than just a dunker. He's a a two-team player, and most casual fans wouldn't actually realise he spent over six seasons with the Phoenix Suns before rounding out his career with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And his career averages are 17 points and eight rebounds, so very, very impressive. Now, Norm Nixon, who was in his second and final All-Star game, he played in 82 with then-teammate Magic Johnson. And in Jeff Perlman's excellent book, Showtime, That goes into depth about their relationship between Nixon and Magic and how it eventually became fractured. So really interesting book, and I'm only barely halfway through. Still. Still. I'm I'm getting there, but... Taking your time. Just so busy with the podcast, mate. Got priorities. Yeah, that's it, mate. That's it. Like, the the brilliance that you guys are hearing right now, it doesn't just happen, okay? (laughs) That's right. There's a lot of work behind the scenes. All right. Um... Bill Lambier entered the game, and he was added, as you mentioned, to the All-Star Game roster as a replacement for the injured Jeff Ruland, <laughs> and episode 45 of the In All Anders podcast, <laughs> Jeff Ruland is a guest. Now, in 1984, Lambier, Lambier replaced the injured Moses Malone. Now, with less than three minutes left in the first half, Magic grabbed the defensive rebound, he pushed the ball up the floor, and then went coast-to-coast for a one-handed dunk, which was a very athletic and... Quite a surprising play to see Magic at his athletic prime, I'd almost suggest. It was a really great play to watch. Rare move from Irvin to throw one down. Yeah, you barely ever see him drive the length of the court and then throw down a big dunk, and that was a really great thing to see. It's also a part of what made guys like him and Isaiah so great in All-Star games because he wouldn't usually throw down a dunk in a game, but I think he just enjoyed so much the the other forum of the All-Star game where he could really turn the other showtime meter up to full and just you know, put on a real show for the crowd. Perfectly said, mate. Now, with 30 seconds left in the half, Isaiah Thomas had a two-on-one break with MJ and only Magic Johnson was back under the hoop. Zeke went all the way and laid it in and didn't dish off to Jordan, and that's the only clear example especially given the game's bent to have highlight moves, of where it was unusual that Thomas wouldn't dish off to MJ. Of course, this game is oft referred to as the alleged freeze-out from Isaiah Thomas and his fellow East All-Stars to try and make sure that Jordan didn't shine in this game, but I couldn't really see, except for this example, any other plays where Thomas deliberately froze Jordan out. Yeah, I didn't either, really. Um, MJ, though, he didn't appear to get a lot of shots up during the game, but I also I don't think that he played a tremendous amount of minutes either, did he? I think it's been slightly 
over-exaggerated. And towards the end of this conversation, mate, we'll also briefly break down a couple of articles which appeared the days following the All-Star game, which do hint at the fact that there was a freeze-out and it's become an urban legend, basically. Now, the half ends with MJ one-on-one breaking down George Gervin and then dishing to Isaiah for the last second three-pointer at the buzzer. Now, that was one of Isaiah's three makes, as you mentioned earlier. And we should also note that Isaiah was kneed in the thigh during the second quarter, which slowed down his second half output, and he was noticeably limping and then had some very heavy padding on his thigh as the second half progressed. So the game was tied at 68 as we went into the halftime break. Into the third quarter, the East started the quarter with their starters on the court, and the West curiously had Kareem and then four bench guys, which I thought was strange. The first highlight of the quarter was Larry Bird going baseline. He got fouled before he got a shot up, so the subsequent shot didn't count. Then he arced a rainbow over the top corner of the backboard as he was behind the basket, so he arced it over the backboard and swished it. Reminiscent of his preseason game that he did, I think, at Hartford, Connecticut. In, in Hartford, yeah. Yeah, which one. was a great one over the backboard, which was ruled uh, out of bounds because it went over the top of the backboard. But, yeah, good call, mate. The West took a 78-73 lead on Kareem's first skyhook of the game. One of the most outstanding things from this quarter was the way that Tommy Heinsohn was gushing over the Boston Celtics players. That's unlike Tommy. During the game. <laughs> he said that Larry Bird is out there playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. <laughs> They're all playing on the same board, but Larry was about three moves ahead. I love it. He then also came out with his his call that Larry Bird was found in a block of ice in French Lake, Indiana. <laughs> then a, a prehistoric basketball player was carved out of the ice. <laughs> Encino man. Encino man. And then on a simple offensive board and putback, Tommy said, how he rebounds so well is beyond me. (laughs) And and then on a play by DJ later on in the quarter, he said that DJ had turned himself into a very good player this year. Mind you, DJ had been an all-star four times previous (laughs) to this season. Good stuff there from Tommy Heinsohn. Another highlight of the quarter was Pat O'Brien in interviewing Mary Lou Retton on the <laughs> on the sidelines. Retton came into prominence as America's sweetheart with her gold medal performance in the 1984 Olympic Games and also a sighting of the Phoenix Gorilla. So as you can tell, the third quarter was a little short on highlights. <laughs> However, the West extended their lead out to 10 points during the quarter with good inside play and the East inability to hit a jump shot. The third quarter ended with the West in a five-point lead, 97-92. to And early in the fourth quarter, Magic Johnson... Magic Johnson? Yeah, okay. (laughs) I think... I don't remember him even being introduced to the game, but apparently he played. Magic Johnson dished to a cutting Ralph Sampson along the baseline... And he soared in for a monster jam and won, doing all the right things at all the right times, is what I've noted in my notes, surprisingly, <laughs> in terms of possible MP, MP3. <laughs> I've, done, oh I've done it again. <laughs> I've done it again. I've said that in another episode and had to edit it out. He was really 
ahead of his time back in 1985 with his MP3 performance. <laughs> uh, what can I say? He, he definitely was. Uh, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Uh, okay. The next play down the floor, Ralph handled the ball for a few of the dribbles and then played a two-man game with the Magic Man, ending with a gorgeous reverse dunk. Now, I've also got down here that Jordan managed to get in one of his patented behind-the-head blocks on an opponent, rejecting seven-foot-four Ralph Sampson, and that was a very nice play. Adrian Dantley inadvertently elbowed Larry Bird in the nose on a drive to the hoop with about seven minutes, 20 seconds left in the game. Bird got patched up quickly and then momentarily stayed in the game before a timeout had to be called and then blood started to drip with regularity. Dick Stockton then chimes in, I think we ought to show more of the blood coming out of his nose. I think we ought to do that in pure sarcasm because the camera was zoomed right in and you could see all the blood dripping out of Larry's nose. So I think that Larry's would be one of the first people to admit that it was a, it's a pretty big target to hit. <laughs> it's a decent-sized schnoz, as is mine, to be honest. So hello to Larry for listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got on here, the fourth quarter was... Fast-paced and exciting to watch. However, the East never got to within less than four points and they were outscored 43-37 to 37 in the quarter. Now, the West's control of the game was punctuated by a great alley-oop from Magic to Samson and that put the West up by nine points and it all but ended the East's chances. MJ had a nice baseline drive and dunk with about two minutes left, but it was all over bar the shouting at that stage. The West went on to win the game 140-129. to 129. The, and I quote, light beer MVP was Ralph Sampson, who had 24 points. He had 10 of 15 from the floor and 10 rebounds in just 29 minutes of play. So as I mentioned earlier, he did all the right things at the right time because he started to come into the MVP consideration late in the third and then early into the fourth quarter. MJ finished with just seven points on two of nine shooting, six rebounds, two assists, three steals and a block, which is a good effort but not great in the offensive side of things. He was quoted as saying, I enjoyed it anyway. I even went to dinner with Moses Malone last night. He picked up the check because he lost a free throw contest, which is what you alluded to a bit earlier. Later, he was quoted as saying, when they called my name in the starting lineup, that was the highlight of my career. Finally, he ends with, I hope I have the chance to play in another one of these someday, which I think was one of the most understated comments that he made in his career. (laughs) because he was named to, I think, 14 All-Star games. Akeem Olajuwon, the only other rookie in the game, finished with six points on just two of two shooting, had five rebounds and two blocks. So it was interesting to note that MJ and Akeem had similar stat lines and impact on the game. For the East, Isaiah finished with 22 points and five assists. Larry Bird had 21 points and eight rebounds. Terry Cummings, 17 points and seven rebounds. We had Bernard King with 13 points and seven boards, and Dr. J had 12 points. For the West, George the Iceman Gervin, appropriate I guess that he was called the Iceman in a game alleged to be a freeze-out. He had 23 points on 10 of 12. Magic had 21 points and 15 assists. Larry Nance had 16 points. Orlando Blackman, 15. Norm Nixon and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 11 points. And Adrian Dantley had 10. Just in my notes at the end here, mate, I've actually got to freeze or not to freeze in relation to, as we mentioned earlier, the alleged freeze-out in the 85 All-Star game. On the 12th of February, the Chicago Tribune had an article titled, Did All-Stars Freeze Out Jordan? Some were reportedly annoyed by Bulls Rookie. Now, stories had circulated since the All-Star game concluded that players perceived Jordan's behavior over the weekend as arrogant and cocky, 
primarily because he wore the Nike warm-up suit and his glittering gold chains during the dunk contest. And the article is littered with an array of, at times, bizarre and strange quotes. And for example, Isaiah said, He's a nice guy, and my cousin Darren, the Bulls ball boy, hangs around him. My mum has invited Michael over for dinner a couple of times. It just isn't true. Then a Detroit writer was quoted as saying, The attitude of the players was Michael Jordan will get star treatment when he learns to act like a gentleman. To which MJ then responded, That makes me feel very small. I want to crawl into a hole and not come out. I'll go home and mope the rest of the day. In saying that he would speak with MJ before the Pistons travelled to Chicago to take on the Bulls just two days after the All-Star game, Isaiah said with a laugh, If Michael Jordan ever walked by me without saying hello, I'd probably turn around and punch him in the face. Hmm. Now, from an NBA.com article which is titled Isaiah Melts the Freeze Out, it appeared many, many years later, a review of two separate tapes of the game, one from the CBS broadcast and one from NBA Entertainment, which had a cameraman on the floor, revealed little to support the conspiracy theory. There you go, mate, for what it's worth. I think it's quite overhyped and exaggerated over the years. Three points, though, from what you mentioned. Like the fact that it was even in the papers means that you know it could very well have had some weight to it. And Isaiah talking about MJ having dinner at his mum's house. My God, that guy was the smiling assassin, wasn't he? He was indeed. And uh, as you mentioned before, there was an upcoming game, uh, Chicago, between the Bulls and the Pistons. And uh, if there was a freezer, MJ definitely got his revenge. Well, that's right. A February 12 game that we will be breaking down in a further episode of NBA 85. The game itself is actually referred to as the revenge game in lieu of the fact that 85 All-Star game was the supposed freeze-out. So it was one of the great Jordan performances of his career. And obviously, a couple of days after the All-Star game actually happened. That'll bring an end to this episode itself there, mate. Is there anything else you'd like to add? It's been absolutely fantastic to have watched the 85 All-Star game, the first in MJ's career. Really enjoyed it and have had the opportunity recently to pick up some memorabilia from the game as well, which is really cool. So yeah, it's been excellent to have spoken about the uh, 1985 All-Star giddy-up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in allairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at InAllAnnis. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash InAllAnnis. Join me next time for another edition of the show.